Amen. You may be seated. My name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor here. And if I haven't met you yet, so glad you're here. Hopefully I can catch you after the service. But please take your Bible and turn with me to Habakkuk. We're in the final message in our Answers in Silence series. This is part five of this book. And this has been a great study for me personally. I hope it has been for you as well. This book has taught us so much. And so as you're turning there, it's, if, if this is your first week, it's the, the fifth book before Matthew. So you can find it really easy that way. If you find the first book of the New Testament, you can find Habakkuk. And to be honest, I was a little scared of starting this series at the outset. Right before we did this, I had like these thoughts, oh, should I just switch this up last second? But the timeline on this was if you go back two years ago, I knew I was going to go to Chicago to do this residency to plant a church. I didn't know, I didn't even know I was going to Spartanburg yet. But there was a church planting pastor in Kansas City, and his church was like four years old at the time. And he told me, hey, as you go into this, I would study the book of Habakkuk. So I read, the, I read over this book for a couple months there before I moved to Chicago. And if he hadn't said that two years ago, we would probably not be doing this series right now. So thank you for him. God led him to do that. And it's been a joy for me. And I hope it has been for you as well. If you, this is your first time you're here, I'm so glad you are here. And there's not a bad week to ever start at Vertical. There's really not, even though we're wrapping up a series right now. And we don't have many standalone messages. We're usually diving deep into a book and, and loving the synergy that, that comes with that. But if I'm doing my job and I am giving you a message from the authority of Scripture that has the power to change your life, every single one of these messages, even if it's the last sermon in a series, is just as powerful as the next. So we will be reading verses 16 through 19 of Habakkuk chapter 3. But right before we get there, I wanted to say the end of this book reminds me of the movie. It's a movie that came out not too long ago, like three years ago, named La La Land. And La La Land was a movie about a guy and a girl. So you got Sebastian, he's this aspiring jazz pianist. Mia is a, an aspiring actress. And they're drawn together by their common pursuit of doing something that they love. But they both have an uphill battle to get there. And as this movie progresses, it's a classic rom-com. Um, eventually, they drift apart because they find success in their field and it, and it just pulls them, pulls them away from each other. I personally love the movie because it had a surprise ending. And I hope I'm not just ruining this movie for anybody out there. It's three years old, so hopefully you're cool with that. But it doesn't have the classic tie a pretty bow on it, happily ever after ending. It's actually pretty realistic. In this movie, they both see that they have learned from each other, they've grown together, but they've gone different directions. The, the character that's played by Emma Stone, she marries another man, and at the very end of the movie, she comes across him like years later, and he's now a successful jazz pianist. He plays this pretty song, they just look at each other, they got the wink in the eye, and they move on from their separate ways. So many people were upset by that movie. Like, how dare this rom-com ends and the guy and the girl not get together? That's just wrong. That, I, that ruined the movie for me. But it was realistic, right? 
And that's where that movie reminds me of how Habakkuk ends. Because this, we've seen all along, is a gritty prayer to God. He is in deep trouble. He's in turmoil in his soul. And like our lives, and not like movies, not named La La Land, it has a realistic ending, okay? We're not just going to have a happy ever after here for Habakkuk with all of his problems vanishing. The Chaldeans are still coming. The judgment of God is still on its way for the Judea people. That's Habakkuk's country, the Israel, Israel. And he can still, even despite all that, take joy in the God of his salvation. That's what we're going to see today. That's the overarching theme throughout the rest of this book is to take joy in the God of your salvation regardless of your temporal circumstances. So let's look at verse 16 and read the text here. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So here's the first point for us today. Choose to trust in the midst of your trembling. Choose to trust in the midst of your trembling. And this is realistic. We're not going to see this all the problems vanish into thin air kind of situation. And if you're thinking, wow, David, this sounds too good to be true. Habakkuk there's a prophet of God in the Old Testament. I could never do that because I try to just take joy in the God of my salvation and I struggle. I can't find joy. I don't know how he did it, but I could never get there and do that myself. Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, it's easy to feel that way. I, I just can't pull this off. I don't know how other people do it, but that's not me. Well, this is a sermon for you right here, okay? Because none of us should be discouraged. There is a formula in this text on how we can all take joy in the God of our salvation. Every single one of us. No matter what your personality is, no matter how you think and how you're wired, you can do this just like Habakkuk did. The blueprint is right here. And this is the first point in verse 16. So last week... We were finishing up, when we came to this verse last week, we were finishing up that whole sermon on sorrow to song. If you were here last week, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, more about that at the end of this message, sorrow to song. But we, I, my point here on this verse was rest on the sovereignty of God, which is a very, very biblical thing that you see throughout Scripture. We're always going to have to do that. But there's even some more specifics in here that we didn't even touch on last week with verse 16. So as we look at this, I think it's super important to see some specific ways that we can rest on the sovereignty of God. What is Habakkuk here, first of all? I hear and my bones tremble. I hear my body trembles. Well, he's hearing the voice of the Lord throughout this whole entire book. He has listened to God and God has spoken to him. And he knows that judgment is still coming for his people and for the Chaldeans. He doesn't know how it's going to all work out. He knows the hardship is there. 
and he knows it's not going to be pretty. His body is trembling. And, and literally, that means in the, in the original language, from here to here. Okay, this is his chest that's beating, his torso. His, his stomach is just churning in knots. And when you read this text, you can see how heavy this looks. His bones ache. His lips are quivering. You know, I was thinking about that. And we have three kids, three amazing little kids. We're so blessed, so blessed to have three beautiful children. And their lips quiver all the time. Because they do something bad, they start crying. Their lips are quivering. Um, and, if, and if they do something bad and their lips aren't quivering and they're being pure rebellious, <laughs> daddy has to do his job because he loves them and then their lips quiver, okay? So kids' lips quiver. Adults, not so much, right? I mean, when was the last time you as an adult had your lips quivering because you were in fear and you were shaking? That's the gravity that Habakkuk is facing right now. And remember, he wasn't quiet at first. When we first heard him, he was doing everything but being quiet and waiting. He was crying out to God. He was sobbing to God. But once he got on the watch post, once he listened to God's voice, then he went into this, he went away from this mode of talking and analyzing, complaining, talking, analyzing, complaining. He went away from that mode and he went into the mode of listening, meditating, Impatiently waiting on the Lord. There's a huge difference there that we have seen already through the course of this book. But as he got there, he truly says, hey, look, I can trust in the midst of my trembling. Trust in your trembling. Not to trust in trembling. Of course, it's weird. You can't trust in that. Trust in your God in the midst of your trembling. That's what he is doing because this is in the present tense. This verse is written. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. The whole thing is in the present tense. Yet I will quietly wait. And I know you're thinking, well, David, this is easier said than done. I don't know how I could ever just get there. My problems aren't just going to vanish. This is an intentional choice that you have to make and say, I am going to trust God. Even though everything around me doesn't make sense right now, I'm going to trust God even despite my circumstances. This is understanding the rough season will pass. And if I run to God and lean on him, he can change me through that. So, trembling. It's not wrong to be in that place. That's not a sin. You're actually where God wants you to make you depend on him, to force you to rely on him. You have to run to him in those moments of trembling when your stomach is churning, when you can't sleep, when you don't know the answer. You have to say, look, I choose to trust God despite everything else that's around me. And when we were in our series, Get on the Watch Post, or our sermon, Get on the Watch Post, which was the second sermon of this series, we talked about Romans 8, 28 and 29. I'm going to show you that again. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Because this is the New Testament equivalent of what Habakkuk is going through. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first born among many brothers. We talked about how God is going to work everything out for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
And a lot of times what we have in our minds as what is the good, the good result that I'm looking for, is not necessarily the good that God knows, that God has a plan for, right? And the good is defined right there in verse 29. It's being to, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God is working through that trial, through that moment of silence, that period of waiting and wandering. God is working through the pain, not just to take you out of the pain, but to change you. He wants to change us in the pain. It's so important that you understand that. Tempta the temptation is to ignore the trembling. Maybe you just uh, want to get really busy and block it out. Maybe you go to the bottle. Maybe you do a thousand other different things. Everything under the sun besides face that pain head on and run to God. But that's what Habakkuk did. And this is the first step here. It's to trust God. Choose to trust him despite all the other outward circumstances. Psalm 73, 26 says this. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the one who's going to give us the strength. Fears fade away through faith. It's through faith. And we've already seen that waiting builds faith. So if you're in the trembling, you're in the right place. It means God is moving. God is working in your life. And I know that's not fun to hear. And that doesn't sound great to you probably, but it's the truth here that God is going to use that pain as a microphone to draw you closer to him. That's what we've seen all along. That's what Habakkuk is doing. We have a church that is full of men and women who understand this point. And Jeremy talked a little bit about life groups this morning already, but it is so true. I am blown away with just the number of conversations I've had this month, in the month of June, since we started this book series in Habakkuk, of, of men that are godly men, they love God, and they're struggling with things. And they open up about it. And they have multiple men speaking into their lives, praying with them. To, and, and it's not just men, it's, it's ladies too. This is a church that doesn't pretend that problems aren't real. We know good and well that we struggle through things, that we're dealing with things, and we don't have it all together. So in the midst of your trembling, you have a church right here full of men and women who are here to help you, who are here to come alongside you and walk through that with you. It's so important to understand that. Choose to trust in the midst of trembling. That's the first movement towards finding joy in the God of your salvation. And here's the second movement. This is point two. Resolve to rejoice even if the worst happens. Resolve to rejoice even if the worst is happening to you. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and yields no food. The flock be cut from the fold cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I love this. Now, for Habakkuk, worst case scenario, in this agricultural society, sounds like he's not getting any food. But the fig tree not blossoming and you not getting any fig newtons in your life is probably not the worst case what if scenario for you, right? For you, it's something totally different than it was for Habakkuk. And I was just thinking through the lives of the people that are here in Vertical Church. 
and just making a list of what this what if could be. What is the worst case scenario for you? Is it that you don't get into your dream college? Or maybe you don't get into college, period, and then who knows what will happen from there? Maybe you're in a job that's not paying you enough to even cover your bills, and that's a really scary what if situation. Maybe it's the business that you've invested in for three, four years. You've poured everything into this business. What if it fails? That's a pretty daunting what if scenario. What if there's no one that you can find that you want to call your soulmate and you're single and it's hard? There's a what if there. What if you're isolated and cut off from your family? What if you've tried everything with your son or daughter to no avail and they're still not following God or trusting Jesus? That's a very painful situation to be in. So many what ifs. The worst case scenario that could happen. Habakkuk is facing it. Some of you right now are in the midst of it. You have to rejoice even if the worst happens. I know I told you this is not a discouraging message. But for some of us, this kind of sounds discouraging so far. It's like, David, I don't know how I can still do that. I know, I know you told me there's good news coming, but it's still not there. How in the world are we going to get to that point where we can do that? Does anybody out here have that tendency just to always fall into the worst case scenario? Any like WebMD freaker outers out there? You know, you, you have this symptom and you go and, and you pretty much have to have like an emotional support pet with you or maybe a couple like senior adults with you before you get on WebMD just to keep, you, keep your head in the game and not jump to the worst case scenario. We're, we're like that, right? But we have to take all the what ifs and in verse 18, look what it says. You have to turn it into an even if. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord doesn't even matter, all the what-ifs. Even if all that happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you see where the good news is coming in already? This is where it starts to matter for you and change things for you. If you rejoice in the God of your salvation. We're not just talking about getting what I want, getting what I feel like I need, getting what, what feels good. No, we're talking about eternal life with God. We're talking about receiving a gift that you didn't even deserve. So I can take joy no matter what else is going on. I can take joy in the fact that God loves me enough that he sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross for my sins and save me. If you have by faith trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you have more than you ever deserve. You have way more than you ever need. You have a relationship with God. You have eternal life with Him. So even when there's noise and the road gets hairy and dark and scary and everything else is caving in around you, if you have God, if you have salvation with Him, you're going to be more than fine. And yet, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's what we see here. Too often, we have people who think of their relationship with God in the terms of fair weather, and it's not four seasons, right? They think of their relationship with God more as a contractual relationship rather than a covenant relationship. 
What's the difference, right? Okay, contractual relationship. It's like, all right, I was a free agent. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I signed on the dotted line with God for five years, 15 million. And as long as I uphold my duties and do what I'm supposed to do and be a good person, God should bless me. A lot of Christians, Christians think that way, all right? That's not what we see in scripture at all. We see a covenant relationship with our creator. It's not, hey, I don't have time for God right now, so I don't really need to do this whole church thing. It's God saved me. He called me out of darkness. I was on my way to hell, and he gave me a new life. He's grafted me into his family. I can't believe this. I have a covenant, eternal, purposeful relationship with him for all of eternity. So you better believe I'm going to trust him even, even when it doesn't make sense to me. Even when he is silent, it's okay. He's got a plan. He's working something out. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Move beyond the what if, though the fig tree should not, should not bear fruit, into the even if. And this is the decision of the will. It says, I love God because he loved me first. What is in your life that if God took it away, you would have a real problem? What is that what if for you? Is there something that you are taking joy in above God? This is a very important question that you need to wrestle with. And I know it's a heavy question that just dropped on you. But I want you to think about that for a second. Is there something that if God took it away from you, you would really, really struggle I had a conversation not too long ago with a, with a guy in our church. And it was, what if God took away this relationship? Would you still be all right? It was a very challenging question. What if God took away your career? What if, God forbid, he took away a loved one, a child? How would you handle that? Are you finding your joy in your husband? Well, your husband can change. I hope you're finding joy in your husband. But are you, finding, are you putting your husband above God and finding more joy in him than you are in your relationship with God? That's, that's a dangerous place to be. I mean, your kids, they can grow up and they start talking back and things get sassy. And it's, it's not always what, it, what you thought it was going to be, right? It gets hard. We can't put our joy in anything other than the Lord and rejoice in the God of our salvation. That's where we have to find our joy. So resolve to rejoice in your salvation no matter what else happens. Nothing in this world is as good as your relationship with God. Nothing is. And that, in the dark times, is what you have to fall back onto. And if you look at church history, and you look throughout uh, the men and women that we see in church history, you can see that they got this. This is something that carried them and propelled them forward. You think of uh, a guy like George Mueller, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with George Mueller. Um, he was a, a great, lived in Great Britain in the 1800s. He started 117 schools that taught Christian education to orphans. He ministered to over 10,000 orphans in his life. Think of 117 schools. I mean, if there's anybody in here who does school administration, you know what a headache that is, right? All these things you have to organize and orchestrate. It sounds like a big time job. A lot of details. Well, this is what George Mueller said. Instead of 
focusing on all the details, all the problems, putting it on the fires. This is the mindset he had. I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. He would have never did, he would have never done what he did for God's glory and for the kingdom of God, ministering to those orphans, if he didn't say, my soul has to be satisfied, I have to be at peace with God. I need to find my joy in the God of my salvation before I even start my day. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher in this country, in this continent, in the 1700s, he was hugely influential in the first great awakening in America. This is what Jonathan Edwards said. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, or children, or the company of any, or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Wow, how beautiful is that? They wrote on a whole different level back then in the 1700s. They really did. But do you see here where this answer is coming from? How you can actually take joy in the God of your salvation? It starts with saying, I'm going to trust God no matter what, even in the worst case scenarios, even if... This horrible what-if situation would have happened, it's okay. Yet will I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, if you take away the whole salvation part of what I just talked about in this point, if you just remove that from the whole equation, and you just talk about the two points that I just said, right? Resolve to rejoice even if the worst happens, and choose to trust in the midst of trembling. If you just take those two points and isolate them from salvation and the gospel and focusing on what God did for you, you have a super religious message. Am I right? Are you with me here? Are you tracking with that? If it's just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just hold it all together with my willpower. You have this religious, like the bad side of religion, like do better and straighten up and you'll be fine kind of message, which is where a lot of Christians leave it. They don't go that far. When I was a kid, my dad was a youth pastor for a while in Connecticut. There was a couple that was in his youth ministry. They were like sponsors. They were the adult leaders that were in this youth group, right? They were really fun. They came over to our house all the time. I remember this guy. He always fixed our old blue Chevy that always broke down. He was, they were just great friends with my parents. After my parents moved from Connecticut to Illinois, where my dad became a pastor, that family, that couple, changed churches, and they went to another church, and they got involved in this other church. And this is one of those churches that was your legalistic do, 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 do without focusing on the gospel and the motivation that comes and the joy that comes from the God of our salvation. And I was young at the time, and my parents didn't directly say this to me, but I, you know, you're a kid, you listen, you pick up on things. They came into this new church, this couple, and it just messed with their minds because it was all performance. And this lady, at one point, after a couple years of that, walked out of a church service into the parking lot and just started pounding her head on the cement curb because she was so fried and tired of trying to perform and to, and to do right in her own strength. She couldn't do it. 
And that is an extreme story that not many of us are ever going to experience or hear about. But honestly, that happens more often than you think. Maybe not to that extreme physically, but there are so many Christians who try to do this out of their own grit and desire, and they fall short, and it drives them crazy, and they go mad, and they walk away from the faith. That is a very real thing that happens. So here's the third movement that you have to have. If you're missing this ingredient, if you're missing this piece, you have nothing, okay? Because Habakkuk didn't do what he did without doing this one right here. And this is the third point. It's to find strength in the Lord your God. We're talking through all these. To rejoice in the God of your salvation, the only way you're going to get this done is right here in verse 19. It's to find strength in the Lord your God. Look at verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Remember, in this, in this movement of this book right here, this prayer has turned to a song. We talked about this last week when we started chapter 3. This is a Shigianoth song. Okay, it's a joyful, celebratory, triumphant song. And that's what he is singing right now. This isn't a, in the end, it doesn't even matter, and it's all going to fall apart type of song. Right? We're not, we're not singing Moby. We're not singing Lincoln Park. No, we're singing Shigianoth right here. And this is, yet... I will draw my strength. Even if the worst happens, it's all right. I can take joy in the God of my salvation. And I will get my strength from on high. My strength comes from God. That's verse 19. You can't do what Habakkuk did by simply just trusting God without focusing on the joy of your salvation. And without saying, I can't do this, God, without you. Without the strength that you provide. And this is what we have that Habakkuk doesn't have. Habakkuk did this by relying on the strength of God. As a New Testament follower of Jesus in the church age, which is most of us in this room who have confessed by, by grace through faith in their Savior Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Habakkuk didn't even have that. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is the helper. He is the one who is indwelling inside us. To give us the ultimate source of strength. We have to tap into that. We have to. So here's the big question. Well, David, this is great. I'm finally getting somewhere. You're finally helping me not be discouraged. Because I can see it's not all on me now. It's actually in the strength that God will give me. But still one more lingering question. David, how do I tap into that power? How do I get that strength from the Lord? I seem to be missing that. I don't always have that. I mean, I'm going through a really hard, dark season right now, and I have questions that don't, the answers aren't there yet. I need this strength that you talk about, David. Well, what is the closest parallel we see in the New Testament to, to finding this? I would say it's Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So in Paul's day, to be drunk with wine, how would you get drunk with wine? You would drink a lot of wine because it was diluted, diluted like three to one up to six to one probably. It was really diluted with a lot of water and it had flavor, but it wasn't like what we think of as alcohol. So to get drunk off that wine, 
In Paul's day, you're drinking a whole lot, all right? And if you are drinking in the scripture, drinking in who God is, drinking in the gospel, meditating on the truth of what he's done for you, and the plan that he has for you, and his word, and the words of Jesus, if we are drinking in the spirit, we will be filled with the spirit, and that's where you find the power from the strength that only God can give you. This is where you begin to do things that are way beyond yourself, that are truly a movement of the Holy Spirit through yourself, through your body, through your actions. It's because you have been filled with the power of God and the strength that he provides. That's how you find the strength in the Lord your God and the God of your salvation. Fill your mind with his truth. It's really that simple. And look at the, again at the closing words here. God, the Lord, is my strength. This is literally Yahweh Adonai. Yahweh Adonai. Julie and I are doing a podcast right now this summer, this summer through different names of God. We're taking 10 names of God. And Adonai is the name for God that means supreme ruler. So, yes, the Chaldeans and Nebuchadnezzar are, are going to take over and they're going to rule our country for a while. But you know what? God is ultimately in control of them. And that bore out to be true throughout history. God took Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans down exactly when he wanted to take them down. We have a God that we can put our faith in, that we can trust in, even when we don't understand him. And he makes your feet like the deer. You can be as strong as a deer. All right? And for us, this, this illustration that is woven beautifully right into this song may not make as much sense as it did for Habakkuk. But in his day, deer were known for the strength and the, and the muscular movement that they had in their legs and their feet. Okay? They were known for walking along the mountains. They were known for handling slippery rocks. And if they saw a snake on the ground, a deer could just whoop, hop right up on a rock. Right? Are you with me on this? And they could stand on the rock and then they could look down on the enemy, look down on that snake and say, you can't touch me because I'm safe up here. We all have that through the rock, Jesus Christ. We have that same ability to find that strength right there. And you see this throughout scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Look at this really quick. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Galatians 2, 20. Another well-known verse. And these verses are just all over the place. But I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I now live in the flesh. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God. We have to live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power that God and the strength that He provides, and only that. That's the only way you're ever going to turn sorrow to song. It's the only way you're ever going to be able to take joy in the God of your salvation, is if ultimately you rely on His strength and not your own strength. This whole series, we have seen Habakkuk, a man 
who is struggling and wrestling with God. In the trembling, in the moments where he's failing, he turns back to God and he cries out to God and he finds his hope and his strength in him. If you can stand up, we're going to sing a closing song this morning. A song we introduced last week. And this song is all about God holding us in the power of his hands. We have salvation in him and him alone. He chose us. He will never leave us or forsake us. No man can pluck him out of the Father's hand. That's you and I. Even when we stumble and fall. Even when we stumble and fall. Yet, you can find joy and satisfaction and peace and hope in God. Let's sing as you find me. And take joy in the God of our salvation.